Hello, and welcome to the LMA podcast featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Marketing Association podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in for today's discussion on client experience and what that looks like in a law firm environment. Just by way of introduction, my name is Amber Bowman. I am the Director of Client Service Initiatives at Barnes & Thornburg, and I also have the privilege of serving as a co-chair of the LMA's Client Value SIG, along with my good friend Tom Helm from Brian Cave Leighton Paisner. We're joined today by two women who I really admire and think of as true thought leaders in our industry, Simone Hughes and Deborah Baker. Simone co-leads business development and marketing at Gowling WLG, and Deborah Baker is a managing director at Growth Play. They're both incredibly smart and insightful people and have decades of experience in law firms and professional services to draw upon. Back in July, Deborah and Simone were kind enough to present a webinar focused on client experience, specifically how to elevate that experience in a post-pandemic world. It was a really great conversation that I felt like could have gone on for much longer, so we thought the podcast format would be a really nice opportunity to continue that discussion and spend a, a little more time talking through some of the issues that were raised. So, Simone and Deborah, thank you very much for joining us and agreeing to talk about this topic a little bit more. Thanks, Amber. We're super excited to be here. I know from my perspective, this is Deb Baker. Um, It was such a fun time collaborating with you and Tom and Simone on this topic. And I feel like the work that the Client Value SIG is doing right now around this and really looking at how we can help our members in the LMA community really take this topic and be thought leaders inside your own firm. So thanks for taking the time to let us talk about it a little bit more. Yes, thank you, Amber, and asking us back to keep sharing our CX insights. Fantastic. You know, my first question, and I would invite both of you to weigh on this, like, is there hope for legal? <laughs> you know, in this industry, I, you know, I, and I'm guilty of this, I think we sometimes resign ourselves to just always being a, a couple steps behind. You know, you're constantly reading things and hearing about ways in which, you, you know, accounting or consulting or other professional service firms are kind of outpacing us when it comes to things like client experience, servicing key accounts, and that sort of thing. So what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, is there, is there hope for us to catch up? Well, maybe I'll start. This is Simone. I'm an internal optimist, Amber, and it seems like such a sad statement for our industry. <laughs> when I first joined the industry about, uh, you know, a while ago, I thought that we were at least 30 years behind more sophisticated industries like banking. But now I think that we're maybe only 10 years behind and rapidly <laughs> catching up, actually thanks to the pandemic, which has allowed us to digitize and therefore enable us to track and trace, quantify our efforts and force more of that evolution. So on one hand, you know, we're, we are progressing and we're catching up, but on regards to CX, And actually, it's funny enough, I was talking to a CX expert today. He equates the state of our legal industry's CX position to be pre-kindergarten. So that's um, an interesting opportunity for us to really move the needle. uh, And we can, you know, when we really want to, we will lead and, and, and jump ahead. So my answer is that, yes, we will not only catch up, we'll lead eventually, not only in marketing, communications, and catching up, but also in participatory roles in law leadership. 
Yes, Simone, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's absolutely hope for legal. If there's one challenge I think we've seen with some of the clients that we've worked with is that there's actually a a limited view of what lawyers think of when, when you hear the term client experience and people really don't know what that means. I think it, at least what we've seen is most lawyers hear CX or hear the words client experience. They think it's about client service. And that's actually only one small component of what client experience encompasses. I think the good news because other professions and other service professional services organizations have gotten a jump start on are, are ahead of us. The fact that there's precedent helps, right? Lawyers love precedent. And the fact that CX has now emerged as a business function and there's research and there's data to show that there's a path forward in the link between client experience and profitability, that's really important for us. So, you know, as we look at what do we do as a LMA community, I think awareness is a great place for us to start. And there's a big role that we can play in elevating the awareness inside the firm. I think, Simone, you are a perfect example of what a best practice for a marketing leader looks like in terms of being able to take your experience from another industry and show that. But I think we all can do that. You know, I think there's so much research out there in terms of insights, articles, anything that you can do to show and start teaching and creating that awareness is going to be something that that's low hanging fruit for legal marketers inside their firms. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and and Deborah, you kind of touched on this in terms of like how attorneys perceive the phrase client experience and what they, you know, what they kind of think it entails. Simone, I, you know, I know you, again, you've made client experience a priority at your firm. What was that process like to get buy-in? And, and is that, did you get pushback in that regard? Did the, did the lawyers kind of say, oh, you know, this is kind of foo-foo stuff that might work if you're the Ritz-Carlton or, or you know, it's some other kind of business but it wouldn't work in legal. And, and if, you, if you got that kind of pushback, how did you address it? I completely concur with Deborah that using evidence and precedence is highly persuasive. And there is a ton of research out there to help with the cause. I also feel that one additional area that really helped us was immediate usable value of what you're doing as you go through the development of a CX experience program. So I've kind of been lucky because I've been here at Gowling WLG for two years and inherited a brand that was recently formed due to a global merger in 2016. So much of the research internally and externally was done with, you know, agencies and professionals to create a brand that not only promised your top-notch legal advice, experience, and solutions, but paired that with the promise of distinctive client experience. That meant there was already at the highest levels, i.e. like our co-CEO levels and our international board buy-in for the concept, but that's also where it ended. Our mandate was then when I came on board, how to make that statement a consistent global reality. And that's when you start to get the pushback. So to address that, like any other large change management initiative, it's about a ton of two-way communication, about using facts, about evidence, precedence, and bringing people along with you on the journey. We had to develop an agile plan 
that was inclusive and demonstrated not only the value for the firm, the group, but more importantly, how does it affect each individual at each stage? So, for example, our first phase going through this was in the research phase. We went out to thousands of our contacts and surveyed them. We also went out to every one of our workforce internally. When we got the results in, we parsed it out and used it in a couple of fashions. One way, of course, was to contribute to the knowledge of the next phase of our client experience design. But more importantly, for the change management and to reinforce the value of CX was to give that client learning and insights immediately back to lawyers and client teams so that that in those insights could help them right away in their daily service to clients. So, you know, we're always going to get feedback and pushback according to studies by, I don't know if you follow Larry Richards and his work on the lawyer brain. Lawyers are skeptics, like small surprise, but to get them to buy in requires a lot of communication, evidence, precedence, inspiration, and, you know, immediate use of the information. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting. Deborah. I'm curious when you're consulting with your clients, how does firm size impact what you're doing? Like I, as I was thinking about it, you know, on this topic of client experience, I, I would imagine a larger firm, you know, might have additional resources and personnel that can kind of help you, you know, shape a program and, and execute. But at the same time, bigger firm means more people, more opinions, and, and maybe a tougher time getting everybody to agree on what kind of an optimal client experience looks like. How have you felt that in your work? Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with everything you're saying. I think I, I, on one hand, right, the client experience is size agnostic. So we, we talked about in the, the webinar and, and we usually frame things around these six pillars to help our law firm clients think about the client journey. And those six pillars, regardless of whether you're an AMLA 100 firm, whether you're a single office firm, whether you're a solo practitioner, all of those pillars are always going to be the same. And to your point, Amber, resources are different. So a firm like Simone's is going to have the research to invest in more sophisticated research programming, tracking programs. But even that is going to have its limits because at the end of the day, this is about changing behavior and, and all of the things that Simone just laid out for you, how we change behavior is going to have to happen incrementally. And in truth, it's probably is easier with a smaller firm. And it's a place where we consistently see smaller firms being able to outbehave the competition. And so, yes, so resource constraints. So if you are a bigger firm and really being thoughtful about how you're investing your resources, making smart decisions about that, but also where are you going to find the coalition of the willing and how are you going to start moving behavior changes that that's probably your, if you're thinking about client experience initiatives with two different levers, that's one place to one area where you're going to want to be thinking about if you're a smaller firm, right? Starting small in keeping your approach as simple as possible is going to be helpful to you because you won't necessarily have those sophisticated resources, but it may be more important for you or easier for you to engage and energize the people in your firm. One of the things I, if for those of you who heard the webinar, or if you didn't participate in the webinar, one of the really fun things we did when we were collaborating with the client value SIG was really, what does simple CX look like? And 
I really liked that model in terms of we have to know your target, you need to listen to your clients, and then you need to think about behaviors. And by behaviors, what are the actual things that you're going to do? And so we offered up really simple template that no matter what size of firm that you're in, that you can start saying, okay, here are the six pillars, whether we're talking about relationship management, business intelligence, managing client expectations, showing appreciation, seeking and acting on feedback from clients, managing the billing and fee care process. Number one question for you is what are the expectations or what's the standard you want to set for your firm? And then start engaging in conversations around, okay, how does that look like? What what are the behaviors? How are we going to do that inside our organization? And that gives you kind of the opportunity to right-size your approach for what happens inside the firm. And and again, going back to, we all respond by precedent. So I'm imagining, Simone, even at your firm, you are not trying to do this with every single attorney at the same time. You're probably finding some way to move through a piloting program and and sharing the successes and getting additional buy-in along the way. And I think that could happen with any size firm. Absolutely. You couldn't do it all at once. It's an incremental build. And as I say, this is a project that's going to take years. This isn't something you do in an annual plan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Amber, if I could just jump in there for one second. I think what Simone's saying is we're really hitting on something. So the universal challenge, regardless of what size firm, is projects that take years before you see the results are really, really hard for law firms, right? They're really hard for individual lawyers who are thinking on an annualized basis. And so the more that we can show the what's in it for you as an individual attorney, I think the more opportunities that you have. And again, you know, when we think about one of the biggest challenges that every lawyer and every law firm can agree upon, it's how do we effectively distinguish or differentiate ourselves from other lawyers or other firms who do the same or similar services. And the most powerful differentiation is what they call holistic differentiation, right? There's three types of differentiation. There's unique differentiation, comparative differentiation, and holistic differentiation. Holistic is what moves people. It's what we're clients have an emotional connection to what you do. And there's no way for anybody else to replicate the way you show up with your clients. So that's a place where as we're starting to find that incremental way to move behavior, that we start thinking about how can we show up in a way that's really going to connect with our client. It's going to allow us as an organization to strengthen our overall brand and as individuals to get that benefit. And what can we start doing in the near term? Absolutely. Well, and it's so it's so interesting that holistic differentiation is that's exactly what I try to talk to the lawyers in my firm about when I when I when sort of addressing you know client service related issues. And I know that again, that's that's only one piece of client experience, but it drives at that same point. And I'm always telling them, you know, it's like we all have that service provider in our life, and maybe it's your mechanic, maybe it's your contractor, maybe it's your hairdresser. Doesn't matter. We've all got that that one person that we like. We wouldn't dream of going to anybody else, right? Like, I mean, it it doesn't matter. They could raise their prices. They could move across town. You know, we would. We just have our loyalty to them is so strong because of that kind of holistic differentiation. 
Yeah. And that at the end of the day, I, I think the other, Simone touched on this earlier, but, you know, coming out of the pandemic, this is actually a great opportunity because I don't know a single person who hasn't reevaluated why they do what they do and are they getting what they want out of the, you know, out of the, the roles that they're playing inside their organizations. And I think that what lawyers are starting to learn, like how law- lawyers are feeling it, right? That we, they've had this own experience with themselves. And when you can take that, wow. I'm not feeling, or or I want to rethink the way I'm investing my time in my professional life. There's that level of empathy that I think sometimes we, we lose. I have one of my favorite coaching clients. Her name is Kat um, and she's in Portland, Maine. And she used to talk about, she'd say, you know, law school did this really weird thing to human beings, right? You go to law school and they take our brain and they tweak it and they twist it around. And we come out of law school being able to do this really great stuff with our brains, but we lose a piece of our humanity in the way. And I think what, you know, what she was saying was that in her career, she's trying to constantly like not lose her humanity just because she's really focused on highly complex things that, you know, they have the capability to do. And I think coming out of the pandemic, like we're finding our humanity again, And so what a great opportunity for us as legal marketers to say, okay, how can we capture that, bottle it up and use it to look at this in the context of our clients? Well, and and I would also suggest that's one of the key differentiators and reasons why general counsel would choose one person, law firm group over another, you know, part, the first area of selection they look at is, do you have the right experience? But then their next criteria for selection is, do I want to work with you? Are you human? Are you going to listen to me? Are we going to relate to each other? So, you know, client experience is bringing us back to that. Yeah. Yeah, And the other thing is, Timone, you brought up in the webinar, which when you think about the different phases of client experience, I think because we're using the word client, Sometimes we mistake that, that this, what we're talking about only occurs once you become a client. But as Simone really taught us in the webinar, there is the before, the, the before stage, the during stage and the after stage of a client of the client's journey. And the more that you can take just what, what uh, Simone is talking about is how do we take that experience? How do we connect with people emotionally? And how do we do that at the front end of a relationship? So just while we're doing relationship building during the business development process, this is the opportunity to connect emotionally with folks. And we always say there, there's two, two things that go into effective selling and effective business development. There's being the best at what you do, and there's how you make the client feel. And in the science around sales tells us both of those are important, but people buy emotionally. They will justify what you do rationally. And we tend to go into business development selling the rational stuff, and we don't connect with people until they're actually become our clients. So to Simone's point, if we can just go like, what do you care about? And and really focus on understanding what matters most to the client 
you should trust yourself that the legal stuff and, and all your big brains and experience like that will that will come. But if you can if you can really connect with the with the emotional side, as Simone is suggesting, that's where every, that's where everything happens. And that's where you end up with like clients who stay with you for life. I would that's, also that's, suggest that we spend a lot of time on the, the middle part in developing the relationship while we're in the middle of a matter. And when the matter is complete, we don't always think of extending that connection beyond it and continuing to partner with that client, even though they may not be a client at the particular point in time, so that you're top of mind and you're developing a long-term relationship. You've got the long game in mind. Absolutely. I was just going to add one more one more point to what Simone is saying is like lots of times when we're thinking about the end of an engagement, people say, well, I, I don't want to like I'm afraid if I talk to them about other services that we could provide or I'm afraid it's going to come across super sticky and, um, you know, it will be off putting to our clients if we try to solve more problems for them. And I think um, as you start to think about client experience, it's not about trying to get something from your clients at the end of an engagement. All, all Simone's really suggesting is how can we authentically stay connected with you so that we're, we can continue this relationship um, not that we want, not that you necessarily need to try to get more from them at this time. It's just about creating that experience that we care about you as a human. We want you to be wildly successful. And how can we stay in relationship and support you in anything you're trying to accomplish going forward? That resonates with people and nobody's going to think that's sticky. And that's the basis of client experience is developing that relationship creates those insights that you have more than any other competitor might have with your clients. And it puts you out beyond the others. So it is, I think you mentioned insight selling, Deborah. I can't recall, but that is the basis of it. It's about knowing and, and probing and listening and then helping less than just selling anything you're going to pull out of your, your bag of tricks. Well, and I think, and I think, you know, every time I um, listen in on some sort of an in-house counsel panel or, or something along those lines, and actually the, the program that Tom and I put on um, about a month after uh, yours, Deborah and Simone, was an in-house counsel panel and on this kind of collaborative planning is, is kind of what we, what we called it. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they, they welcome that kind of sustained, you know, relationship mm-hmm. building, you know, after the matter has concluded, you know, they, you know, kind of what they said is, you know, we, we want these to be long-term partnerships. Like onboarding a new firm is is hard and it's an investment of time and resources. And, you know, if, if we used you once, like we want it, you know, we, we want this to be an ongoing thing. Um, and we welcome that kind of um, outreach and, and sort of ongoing relationship development. It's not pushy. It's not salesy. It's, we, we, we appreciate it. Especially if it's, on, if it's on the dime of the law firm, which it should be. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, one one complicating factor is I've, I've been thinking about this um, client experience at my firm, and, and I don't think that we're an outlier, is that, you know, we give a lot of deference to individual partners and, you know, give them a lot of autonomy to, to manage their client relationships in the way that they see fit. Um, how do you kind of suggest that firms strike that balance, like establishing, you know, a common language around client experience and, and trying to implement certain best practices but also giving individual lawyers, you know, that degree of flexibility to kind of 
you know, know their clients and, and flex their approach based on that? Uh, I'll start. Um, that's a really, really good observation. And no, you are not an outlier. It's uh, quite consistent, again, with the lawyer personality. That need for autonomy is right up there with skepticism. So, you know, <laughs> developing a guide and language for consistent client experience isn't about dictating terms of engagement with clients. It's about describing behaviors that you have together found that develop deep, loyal, and therefore revenue-generating client responses. And it's not about prescribing behaviors that make people feel like they're robots ticking boxes. So great client experience empowers people to make aligned business communication and, and service decisions on their own. To find that language, again, is all about this journey of developing what does a client experience look like at your firm. It's a collaborative thing that you spend a lot of time investing in. It constantly iterates. But together, finding the way to work and figuring out that optimal end game with all stakeholders and then, you know, creating this contributes to part of your brand, using the consistent voice in internal and external communications and constantly keeping that alive. And, you know, if we had our druthers too, is developing the, the reward recognition and compensation systems that would support it. Yeah, I agree. And Simone, you're making me think of just a really specific example, you know, in terms of like what that looks like in real life. Um, You know, we worked with a firm a few years ago and we, again, as we were kind of looking at what do we want our client experience standard to be and what does that look like in action? And one of the things around the pillar of managing client expectations the firm adopted what they called the Kenny principles. And this was actually named after one of the partners in the firm who had a very specific format for kicking off client engagements and um, answering key questions so that he was able to manage the client experience and, and really understand what matters most to the to um, to the clients, and so the firm loved this, and they so they adopted the format and said, for one of the things that one of the behaviors that we are going to adopt as a firm is a formal kickoff when anytime we have a new client or we have a new engagement that involves new people, uh, new new relationships. And so the 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 standard of the question uh, of having the intake call that became something everyone did. But the five questions that they asked, the Kenny principles, they were like five questions, things like communication preferences, who are the, who do, who's the major points of contact, how often do how do you prefer to be, um, what are your billing preferences, those types of things. But for each practice group they created their own questions. So it wasn't that the we are going to be so rigorous that we're going to ask these five questions to every single client. It is that we are going to manage expectations consistently using this format. You, dear practice group, or you, dear attorney, you adopt the, the questions that you ask that are going to be most relevant to you and to the client that you're talking to. So there's enough room to say, here's a standard, and then still give give the individuals the flexibility to um, give the attorneys the flexibility to make it work for them because it is, this is a human business. So there is not going to be a one size fits all. 
That's such a great example. I, you know, again, getting back to the lawyer brains, like, you know, they love like a template or a, you know, something that they can follow, but then, obvi- you know, obviously kind of work from markup, adapt in a way that, that um, works, you know, works for them and for their clients. That's, that's, a, that's a great, great example. Ladies, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I really enjoyed it. I, as we close out, just want to see if there are any final tips, takeaways, if people can walk away with a few words of wisdom from you, if they're looking to make client experience a priority at their firms. Any final thoughts? One is take the long game approach. This will be years long. So while our industry is all about urgency, you know, we can't push urgency on this. It's an incremental approach. Yeah, definitely. And I would say just to build on that, um, because it is a long game, keep it simple, celebrate successes along the way, be really positive about, um, about showing people the path forward and making it easy for them and not hard. Um, and, uh, you know, start with the collation of the, the willing and, and some of this does not have to take years. There are so many best practices inside your organizations right now. And the only reason, uh, the only thing that is keeping it from being a really amazing um, innovation around client experience is the fact that only one or two people are doing them. So the more that you can start with what's working inside the firm and make those things work all of the time across all of your practices, that's where people, where, where it won't feel hard and people will say, oh, um, we actually can do this. And I, and I feel like I, Simone, I, Simone, Amber, both of you, like, I, I, I don't know if this is true inside your firm, but I will say consistently, you know, when you show people that they're doing something, lawyers that they're doing something and it's not hard, they sometimes don't think it's important because they're not being dragged through glass. And because so much of our work as lawyers <laughs> is so hard and to just say, no, that was easy and it's awesome. And look at the great result. Like, look at how your client responded to that. And to, to highlight that, that when things feel easy, you're probably doing it right. And that's well, yeah. a little bit of that. Uh, and what's funny is even just showing research. So, you know, one of my quick tips is if you can use the voice of your clients as quickly as you can. I um, was astounded at how much engagement there was in listening to our own client views and then looking at change and accepting change and adopting change because of that. One of the takeaways that we had was that we may not have been as responsive as we should have been for clients. And just even presenting those results has already affected change. But, I mean, if you can't do your own research, as Deborah says, there's a ton of stuff out there that can make your case. And sometimes just talking about these simple things will make immediate change start to happen. And then you build off from that. And I completely agree. You make things hassle-free and fun. People do not like to generally give up their billable time. And so presenting, you know, easy to use, easy to enter material that still has its gravitas and its purpose to it is going to be um, beneficial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and exactly, like I think these are some of these things that you all raised on the webinar and in today's conversation again, and things that don't require a ton of attorney time necessarily, but can yield very positive results and, and you know, uh, again, ROI in a way that 
time spent making some adjustments on the client experience side, you know, it can just really benefit and grow these client relationships in a way that all the sponsorship dollars or you know, whatever in the, in the world can't do. So wonderful, wonderful tips. Thank you all so, so much for joining us today. And again, I would just put in a plug if you're an LMA member, look up the Deborah and Simone's webinar on, on the website. Feel free to reach out to us if you have you know any questions or would like to talk about this further. But thanks, Deborah and Simone, for being with us. And thank you all for tuning in. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit legalmarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, we hope you'll take the time to subscribe to it and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.